ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As have the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting Podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations, and why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it, but hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. <laughs> Two people just winging it in life, and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. check real quick to see where that Chinese rocket is okay do you are you in the debris path no but I I we didn't have the internet last time something like this happened so I'm just like oh my god I can track it in real time (laughs) and you love maps I'm such a dork you are such a dork yeah (laughs) all right well hi guys welcome to history of a haunted I'm Carrie's back. And Carrie's back. Yeah, Carrie's back. Carrie's Laura back. And Laura, Laura got fired. <laughs> <laughs> she did too good of a fucking job, so I got rid of her. <laughs> Get rid of that bitch. She's stealing my show. <laughs> She's fucking stealing my spotlight, god damn it. Uh, no, Laura is um, <laughs> taking the weekend off. She um, is celebrating her son's eighth birthday. So they are uh, parts unknown having a gay old time and sand in their butt cracks. Yeah, we know where they're at. Fucking. We know. Yeah, she's a whore. Go to the beach, whatever. Whatever. Um, <laughs> this is what we do. When somebody is absent, they talk shit. You should have heard the, half the stuff I edited out of last week's episode. When I was <laughs> yeah, the episode's 15 minutes long. It's just me and Laura fucking around, talking shit off here. <laughs> her favorite part was when she, you, you guys were like if she's got time to lean she's got time to podcast when i was texting you guys on messenger i was like fuck you asshole <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yes i'm back i moved into my home i am not unpacked um i'm in my brand new podcast recording studio slash office slash archie's slash bedroom, archie's bedroom. Um, I've sh- already shown Archie how I've decorated it, and uh, he's not impressed. Largely because his bed's not in here yet, the desk isn't in here, yet, the pictures aren't up on the wall. Like, there's nothing. It's just a fucking empty room. I'll feel a little better when my bed's in there. Yes, he will. Uh, so what I decided to do is to not antagonize him with the status of his room. I have the background of the tea room in the Winchester Mystery House here on Zoom, so he can look at a lovely Christmas tree. <laughs> And some lovely tea and cakes and candles on the table. Um, <laughs> are you hungry? <laughs> oh, God. So Fuck. anyway, yeah, we're down one co-host. Uh, we will all be back together next week, though, when we bring you a location that escapes me. So that's probably better. That's bullshit. Right, no, really, I, I I wrote that list and I sent it to you, and I haven't looked at it since. So I really yeah, it don't says know. Um, it says surprise location. Archie has no park. Oh, that's right. That's this one. 
<gasps> That's right, because we're doing a special episode because the episode we record next week comes out on Archie's birthday. Or yeah, I know that it's a. Uh, you should have just titled it "Make Archie Cry." <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> or make Archie shit himself because maybe it's a really scary location that feeds into your deepest darkest fears is, is it Lowe's <laughs> it's all about the history of Lowe's <laughs> <laughs> it's the most haunted Lowe's stores in the country <laughs> <laughs> is it Lowe's <laughs> god damn it you know me too well <laughs> anywho that's right. I totally see. I, I literally did forget. <laughs> I really did forget. Um, and I'm sure Laura did too. So I should probably remind her that she has a part next. To, she has to write next week. Yeah, yeah. You might want to. You might want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So I'm back, and uh, you guys did such an amazing job. I was so that episode was so great, so hysterical. We had a lot of. Fun. Uh, did you end up adopting Laura's cat? um no no <laughs> you're like uh no i'm i'm still waiting for these to die are you kidding me <laughs> okay and i just um, found out that the three that we got just before the house got foreclosed upon turned eight years old today oh mm. bear fox and rabbit happy eighth birthday happy eighth birthday that's last week oh okay <laughs> happy well, eighth birthday in a week <laughs> Oh, right, right, right. Okay. And then that means in however long it takes a cat to get pregnant and give birth after one litter means the little black and white monster will be eight years old as well. So have you had have you had that one that long? Yeah. I, they all just blend together into one giant yeah. cat as far as it yeah, I know. Yeah, she's she's the one that Edward scooped up that got abandoned at three weeks old and he just put her in his pocket like oh, literally right. the day we were moving out of the house oh that's right by the way i'm bringing this with us yeah he's just like well i can't leave this here <laughs> movers aren't gonna take good care of this <laughs> um okay so that's the updates from last week uh archie did not adopt her cat uh she actually <laughs> Left a lot of plenty of food out for Posty. That's the cat's name, Posty. Uh, she left plenty of food out for Posty, and she was going to ask her sister to check on because it's supposed to be kind of hot this weekend. They haven't gotten a litter box or anything. Eventually, I think she's going to cave and let the cat inside because. Oh yeah, she's totally gonna. Mm-hmm. She's totally gonna foster fail. I can see it. A thousand percent, Zane that and. That is so sweet. She's she's that cat knows what it's doing. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, Zane and the cat are new BFFs. So, uh, Laura, you are now a cat owner. <laughs> or you are now a servant. Or you are now owned by a cat. <laughs> From everything I understand, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. Shall so we get started? We should get started. Um, I don't have any other EVPs. Uh, I don't Patreons of the week. You're all Patreons of the week. We, I do want to say though, we have been getting 
rates, reviews, and subscriptions submitted to us. So guys, don't forget our contest, um, $100 Visa gift card. So send us your um, screenshot of submitted reviews. We are really enjoying all of the reviews that we have gotten so far. So thank you very, very much. Um, and Archie will be here very shortly. We will draw the winner on Facebook Live June 1st. And to that end, that ends the fun. Uh, this episode, guys, is a heavy hitter. I think most of you who are fans of our show and any other paranormal TV show, podcast, what have you, will have heard this story, will have known this story. Um, but I do want to say that we do want to add a disclaimer for this show. We do talk about a lot of very um, heavy and significant religious uh, themes. We are covering an exorcism in this show. So I highly recommend anybody who um, wants to and feels that they need to, to pray to whoever it is that you pray to, put down any um, shields of light protection around you while you listen to this episode. I certainly did while I was writing my portion. I put it down around Archie while he was writing his, and I put it down around us as we were recording tonight because I am certainly a believer and I want us uh, all to be protected. Um, so I certainly encourage all of you to listen to this episode with caution. Um, we talk about very heavy uh, and scary and very real things and themes. So to that end, get your drinks because damn, you're gonna need them. <laughs> Art, where, what are we telling right. them today? We are talking about the exorcism of Roland Doe. Yes. My part is more of an introduction or somewhat of a little history. We're switching it up a little bit just because I found a really fantastic article or two on it on grunge.com, both articles by Eric Miesfjord. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I really, I really enjoyed reading them. So also, Arch, before you get started, and I know that I texted this to you. A couple of days ago, but I I had to I had to tell everybody. So when I was telling my mom what we were doing, that we were doing the exorcism of Roland Doe, she started to laugh hysterically. I love this story. And I was like, I was kind of offended. I was like, why are you laughing? Like, you've seen this movie. So this case is the exorcist, the movie is based on this case. And I'm like, you've seen that movie. You forbade me to see that movie for like until just like five years ago, she was like, fine, you can watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why is this funny? And she was like, his name is Rolling Doe. <laughs> I fucking, she couldn't stop laughing. And so then, you know how like people start cracking up and then you, it's just the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we laughed for like five solid minutes until I finally was like, no, Roland doe like jane doe john right. doe, doe and, yeah and she was like oh she was like i thought what in the hell <laughs> the exorcism of roland doe <laughs> white people hell is that name <laughs> what in the white people hell <laughs> uh. Oh God, that's, yeah. You see, I knew you would just make it even fucking funnier. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, a little bit of, of levity into what's about to become a very heavy story. So, all right, go Arch, take it away. 
All right. As I said before, I found my information on grunge.com from two articles by Eric Mies, Mies Fjord, and they were both really great. You should check them out. Okay. okay. Grunge.com? Grunge.com. Now, are these sites sanctioned by the Catholic Church? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Didn't sound like it. I just wanted to check. All right. All right. Here we go. According to Verbal Kent in The Usual Suspects, quote, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist, end quote. Believers might argue that the devil also convinced a fair number of people that God didn't exist either. The devil has the advantage in some ways, insofar as a lot of what most people imagine about demons and the like comes not from church teachings or even the Bible, but from poets and artists. John Milton's Paradise Lost and Dante's Divine Comedy online at Columbia University and elsewhere from paintings from imagination. The devil in particular and demons in general are always good for a lively discussion in Christian circles. Some would go so far as to say there's no such thing, what some would view as temptation or as predilection to wrongdoing or of whatever type comes not from malevolent spirits, but from human weakness. Call it a lack of discipline or selfishness. In broad terms, in the Christian tradition, the devil and demons are fallen angels, opponents of God. In the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, the story is told of these angels war against God. They were defeated and cast out of heaven with their leader, Satan, and now work against God on earth. They show up in the Old Testament as the serpent who tempts Adam and Eve. In the New Testament, they tempt Jesus in the desert. Jesus later confronts individuals who are possessed by demons, casting out those entities. For Christian believers, sin is real and temptation comes from those fallen angels. It's no sin to be tempted. Sin comes from giving in to the temptation. The idea of exorcism practiced by the Catholic Church and other denominations has been a fixture in pop culture almost since the beginning. Remember that Jesus cast out demons, especially since publication of William Peter Blatty's novel, The Exorcist, in 1971, followed by the film in 1973. Boom, the sequel's not so much. <laughs> A central tenet of Christian... Yeah, they're not great. Yeah. They're not great. A central tenet of Christian teaching is that while evil can be powerful, the strength of the devil and the demons is limited, and it is never more powerful than that of God. In his book on the modern-day ministry of Catholic exorcists, The Right, Matt Baglio quotes Father Francesco Bamonte, who said, quote, the devil takes advantage of all the possibilities he has to act in the world, hoping to carry as many people as possible with him to eternal damnation. This is because of the hate he harbors for God and for mankind. He would destroy the good in the world in any possible way, but we are protected by the action of God, Mary, the angels, and saints, all of whom put limits on his actions, end quote. Catholicism has been engaged in exorcisms from the beginning. 
There are New Testament references to Jesus casting out demons. And for the Catholic Church, there's a procedure and ritual to accomplish that important task. As the U.S. Catholic bishops state on their website, quote, there are instances when a person needs to be protected against the power of the devil or to be withdrawn from his spiritual dominion. At such times, the church asks publicly and authoritatively in the name of Jesus Christ for this protection or liberation through the use of exorcism, end quote. It's not utilized at the drop of a hat. First requirement is a, quote, thorough examination, medical, psychological, psychiatric, of the afflicted person in question. Once a determination is made that the devil really is at work, a, quote, major exorcism can be performed with the permission of the local bishop, but only by a priest, most often, or a bishop. The priest, the exorcist, has usually received special training to engage in the ministry, and the rite of exorcism should be performed in a church or chapel rather than the afflicted individual's home, for instance. Yeah, they don't mess around. Like, it's not like willy-nilly, hey, I can go to my local Catholic church and say, you know, I'm, I'm having massive problems and I'm pretty sure I'm possessed by the devil. And they're like, well, if you say you are, you must be. They do. <laughs> they, they really exhaust all possible options. And they did that in the, they, they did that, they did that in the case of Annalise Michelle. They racked up a gazillion dollars worth of like medical bills taking this girl to mm -hmm. every type of doctor they could possibly think of mm -hmm. before the Catholic church was like, okay, maybe there is something here. <clears throat> yeah. They, they, and then they do their they own evaluation. To, yeah. Yeah. Because then it's not, it's not in their, you know, desire or even in their best interest to put somebody through the process of an exorcism, including their own priests, if they don't believe that it's warranted. It's not like just a, a simple like cross over you here, hold this rosary. I'm going to throw some water in your face and poof, there you're, you're good. It's a very exhaustive process. So they want to make sure that all other avenues, possibilities have been explored before they'll mm -hmm. even think about considering allowing an exorcism. Well, it's, it's one of those aspects of church, of faith, that's rife with dramatic possibilities. The author, William Peter Blatty, raised Catholic, was a student at the Jesuits Georgetown University when he read a story about the exorcism of a 14-year-old boy in a Washington, D.C. suburb in the 1940s. His obituary in the Los Angeles Times quotes him this way, quote, and when I heard about this case and read the details, <clears throat> that seemed so compelling. I thought, my God, if someone to to were to investigate this and authenticate it, what a tremendous boost to faith it would be, I thought. Someday I would like to see that happen. You know, I would like to do it, end quote. And he did. The book sold magnificently, and the film, The Exorcist, released in 1973, 
was a smashing, if controversial, success as well. Have you, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you if you've seen the movie. <laughs> I have. Yeah. How many times have you seen it? Uh, once. Yeah, me too. I've only yeah. seen it once. My mom went and saw it um, in the theater and uh, <laughs> it was so horrified that, uh, yeah, she forbade me to see it. So, of course, me being, well, me, uh, Janice, uh, Jennifer's mom, was going to let her watch it. But she had to watch it with, like, she was, Jennifer, she said Jennifer could watch it, but Janice had to be there. So they watched it together. And um, so I told Janice that my mom said it was okay for me to watch it. And she was like, okay. So I watched it with Jennifer and Janice, and I think we were like 12 or 13. I was absolutely traumatized. I was absolutely <laughs> traumatized. And I have never, ever watched it since. Just because, I mean, I have seen other movies. Like I've seen um, The Right with uh, Anthony Hopkins. I have seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I have seen other movies about exorcisms, but that movie, The Exorcist, mm, mm-mm, no, I, I can't, I can't. Yeah. So yeah. when I was like, we gotta do, I was writing out our list of episodes. I was like, we gotta do this one. And I'm like, oh, I don't wanna do this one. This one inspired the exorcist. Like I, 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 you have, I've texted you all week and I'm like, I hate all of this. <laughs> I can hate all of it. But um, it's a very amazing, it's a really amazing story. And I, and once I got through my research and everything, I did see why William Peter Blatty wanted to, to tell the story. But I think in this early seventies, woof there were people that would faint in the theaters when they went to see it. They would run outside and throw up. I mean, it was, it was a, such a vulgar movie. For the, oh. And for the, to this, in this day and age, it's a vulgar movie. Oh yeah, for sure. But in the early seventies, Jesus, no wonder my mother was like, absolutely mm. not, not until you're 50. And you should have listened to your mother. I really should have listened to my mother. That was my very first lesson about <laughs> listening to your mother. Um, but I didn't. And then so therefore I've carried the trauma with me forever. But anyway. <laughs> All right, go on. <laughs> I literally have one sentence left. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. Okay. We'll say it like nine times and then make it worth your while. (laughs) Well, as the book sold magnificently and the film released in 1973 was a smashing, if controversial, success as well. Behind it all was a tragic story of a tortured young man's attempt to be freed. And Carrie, that is where I leave you to tell us about the story of the exorcism of Rolando. <sighs> I don't want to. So thank you for listening to this episode. All right, everybody. Have a great night. Have a great night. <laughs> and uh, we will see we you will next week. You. We will speak to you next week. We will see you next week with Archie's special birthday episode. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I really... I, it, this 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 was a hard one for me and and i just said why when archie had one sentence left to go um (laughs) so we will get into the uh the full story of the exorcism of roland doe right after this 
promo for one of our buddy podcasts. I absolutely love these girls. I can never say enough about them. Um, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please check out Happy Hour Gets Weird. And <laughs> <laughs> these girls are the best. They talk about everything. True crime, paranormal. I mean, they give you re drink recipes that they're drinking. Of the they're the best. I just love these oh, girls. God, they're better than we are. God, they're better than we are. Yeah. Um, happy hour gets weird. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing, amazing time. So please check them out on all of your favorite podcast stations. We will be right back with a story of the exorcism of Roland Doe. And again, keep those uh, protective shields of light down because this is about to get fucking crazy. I'm Cassie. I'm Tiffany. And we're the hosts of Happy Hour Gets Weird. On our podcast, we talk all things weird, like UFOs, Bigfoot, astrology, ghosts, and even true crime. And every episode, we create a fabulous new cocktail. So fabulous. If you're looking for a little weirdness, please search Happy Hour Gets Weird on your favorite podcast platform. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Okay, welcome back to the yuck and gross. Um, <laughs> this isn't really isn't the way to promote the podcast, but whatever. Um, so I got my do with what you can. <laughs> I mean, really, I got my information from allthat'sinteresting.com and stmuhistorymedia.org, an article written by Mitchell Yoakum, and also the new documentary on Discovery Plus. So, yes, uh, as Archie had mentioned, uh, this story is the true story of the exorcist. Uh, it begins in the late 1940s, actually, in uh, suburban Washington, D.C. Uh, a husband and wife uh, had a 13-year-old son. Um, his, he was, his name was believed to be Ronald, um, later referred to pseudo, oh, here we go. Pseudonym. Oh, yeah, I know Pseudonymously, pseudonymously, as a pseudonym. Pseudonymously. Okay. <laughs> that. Okay. Alrighty, it's fine. It took me like fifteen minutes to get that. <laughs> yeah. Listen, to everybody, paying rapt attention to my seriousness. Um, <laughs> later referred to as a pseudonym in the literature as Roland Doe, among other names. For the purposes of this episode, we're going to call him Roland Doe, not Rolling Doe. <laughs> oh, your poor mother. I know. <laughs> Although she was really thinking, my poor daughter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he was described as, as a kid, as he, being a nice kid, but a little hyper. Like most of the descriptions that I read about him, he sounded like maybe he had ADHD. So he's right. kind of known for like being a prankster and kind of like unruly in class kind of a thing, but not like, you know, a little shithead. Um, right. He was very close to his aunt uh, based on the different articles and, and things that you read about him. Um, her name was either Tilly or Harriet, or we're just going to call him her aunt. <laughs> auntie. Auntie. His auntie. Um <laughs> So he was very close to his auntie and she actually happened to live in St. Louis, Missouri. She was actually a spiritualist and taught him how to use a spirit board, which the minute I read that I was like, thumbs down. 
<laughs> I was immediately don't, like, well, don't, don't do that. Not with children. No, no don't, don't do that. Not with children. But again, it was 1948, 1949. So the Ouija board was sort of becoming like a thing. And it was a board game for children. I don't know if you have seen that meme. It's one of my favorite memes where it says there's like a bunch of like seven and eight year olds and they're playing in the Ouija board because it's a brand new game from, I don't know, fucking Hasbro or whatever. And they're like, okay, so let me get this straight. You have to be 18 to serve in the military and 21 years old to drink, but only eight years old to summon a demon because it says for ages eight and up. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you seen that? <laughs> I have not seen that one, obviously. That's fucking incredible. Yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, so spiritualism was really kind of gaining traction during the late 40s and early 50s and spirit boards which i'm going to call it from here on out because i cannot stand the word ouija i don't know why uh spirit board just sounds less scary to me um anyway neither of them almost certainly not her otherwise i feel like she would have realized the severity of it and wouldn't have taught a young child Mm-hmm. Yeah, but neither of them um, realized what they were opening up. Um, for longtime listeners of the show, you all know we are not fans of the spirit board. Don't use them if you don't know how. Even if you do know how, don't use them around us. So um, he was very close with his aunt, and um, she had actually given him a spirit board as a gift. Um, again, having taught him how to contact spirits with her. However, she died shortly after teaching him. So depending, again, depending on the articles that you read, there's a number of different variations of this story. And I felt, I feel like I found um, three of the most legitimate um, sources that I could find. Um, but again, depending on the variation of the stories that you read, um, he tried to use the spirit board to contact her. Um, and that's what started this entire thing. Um, other variations say that it was the use of it with her that started it. Regardless, in early January of 1949, shortly after his aunt's death, Roland and his family began to experience strange things. They heard scratching sounds coming from the floors and the walls of the house, which I just bought a new house, new build home, I think I might fucking lose my shit if I hear that. (laughs) Also, you have three dogs. So just whoosh. (laughs) Let's hope it's them. Um, Water would also drip inexplicably from pipes and walls. Dishes moving around, things flying across the room. The most troubling thing was that his mattress would suddenly move of its own accord, which I would find that troubling too. Yeah, yeah, that's a little more than troubling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was interesting because his classmates and neighbors would later say that they would actually hear yelling and loud noises going on in the house. Um, His classmates would remember in school during the day, his desk vibrating and moving around, his books would fly off of his desk, papers, etc. would fly everywhere, and the teacher was starting to get real pissed because she thought he was doing it. Again, he was kind of, um, you know, a prankster and a jokester and he was really hyper and it was one of like, it was kind of, it was hard to focus, you know. Um, so she would start getting really mad at him because she thought he was doing it and he would swear that he wasn't. 
Um, and some of his classmates were like, it's not, it doesn't really seem possible because it's not like, you know, the book would fly off of his desk and you could like see his arm movement, like shove it off his desk. He would just be sitting there and the book would just off the desk. Right. Um, so he started to feel really isolated, even more so with everything going on at home. He started to feel even more isolated at school because he was getting in trouble for these things that were out of his control. So he quit going to school. So his parents took him to a medical doctor thinking that, you know, maybe he was having seizures, maybe he was, you know, whatever. And the doctors found nothing, no seizures, not one thing. So they took him to a psychiatrist, same thing, nothing. They found nothing. Psychologist, nothing. Like the, his parents took him everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that can be found about his medical records to this day is one psychologist calling him a normal boy, but high strung. I mean, that could be any fucking, Hi. right? Our, yeah, I'm raising my hand here. <laughs> yeah, she's like me right here. Um, that could be any kind of normal 13 year old boy. Like, with the exception of maybe Koi. Koi's always been really fucking chill. Um, oh. So if he starts to become high strung, I might want to like red flags ping constantly. Yeah, yeah that would, that would warrant an investigation a thousand percent um so the family then turned so the family was lutheran that was their religion so they turned to their lutheran minister for help um he wanted to be able to assess roland outside of his home because he wanted to see if maybe if it was poltergeist activity and i think we covered this in the enfield haunting um which is an episode we did over a year ago Mm -hmm. where a poltergeist is sort of energy that kind of manifests and it can kind of start to manifest from teenagers. You know, there's that like, you know, they're the most emotional, hormonal, high-strung beings, really. So right. with the idea that energy can manifest into um, some sort of telekinesis or whatever or create a poltergeist in a home. Um, so he wanted to be able to assess Roland outside of his home, especially in the event if if the family or the child were concealing some sort of abuse that might be going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he invited the boy to spend the night at his house with him and his wife uh, because it is a poltergeist or because they thought it might be a poltergeist. Poltergeists generally don't move from home to home. So he thought, all right, let's bring him into our home. It's a very religious home. It's very, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. So that night, the bed that Roland slept in started to shake and violently move all over the room. So the priest, or the minister rather, moved Roland into an armchair and said, here, sleep in this armchair. Well, that starts to shake and rock violently back and forth, so much so that it toppled backward and threw the kid to the floor. And the priest is witnessing all of this. So he's like, all right, well, um, let's have you lie down on this mattress by my bed. So a few minutes go by, it's calm, it's quiet. The mattress starts to slide around on the floor and then slide right under the bed. You know those scary fucking movies that you see where like a child is on the ground and then all of a sudden they're fucking yanked under a bed? <laughs> it's like that. Oh. And I'm like, no. God, no. Um, but with this, he gets pulled under the bed on the mattress. 
where then the priest's bed starts shaking and he realizes it's the kid on the mattress underneath his bed. And the mattress is still going apeshit bonkers. It's shaking up and down and it's slamming the kid's face into the underside of the bed. Oh. Uh, yes. So this boy, Roland starts getting marks and scratches all over his body. After he went to the priest's house and spent the night, he started getting these. Yeah, they put him under the bed where he got his face smashed into the bottom of it. (laughs) Well, and then like three scratch marks start appearing on his arms and his Uh torso. So um, his family was, they were beside themselves and he was an only child. So it was just him and his mother and his father. And they were like, we have a massive problem. So the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is really really fucking out of control um, yeah uh, mary poppins cannot help us with this <laughs> so their minister who he had spent the night with being a lutheran minister realizes he's out of his fucking element and right. he's like he referred the family to the catholic church so they took him to see Father Hughes of, at the local Catholic church. The priests there reported that when the family of three, the, the mother, father, and Roland walked into the room, the temperature in the room dropped to where ice formed on the windows. Wow. The phone, they witnessed the phone slide off the desk. Um, now keep in mind, it's 1949. So it's not that fucking iPhone just whoosh off the desk. No, it's, it's one of those... Full-handed. Yes, big, huge, heavy, fucking, like, lead-made phone. (laughs) (laughs) With the thick cord into the wall. Yeah, that. Um, So they watch the phone slide off the desk, and Roland says to them, why bother you priests of hell? Oh. Yeah, so he was real polite from the minute. Oh, yeah, real feisty. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so Father Hughes, and I want you to kind of try to like keep these names in your mind because I'm going to mention a few of them throughout the story. Um, so Father Hughes is convinced that he's possessed by the devil and he contacts the Archbishop of DC. Um, and after, you know, presenting the case and telling the Archbishop what was going on, because again, the Catholic Church doesn't just say, oh, okay, well then do it. Why not? Yeah, sure. Why not? We got it in our budget. Exactly, right? We've got it in our budget, a thousand percent. (laughs) Our spiritual budget is like fine with exorcisms. Let's do it. (laughs) So he finally okays the exorcism. So then Roland is admitted to the Georgetown Hospital under an assumed name. Apparently during this exorcism, Father Hughes um, is performing the exorcism. And while Roland is strapped to a bed, Father Hughes begins the exorcism and is praying over him. Uh, During the exorcism, Roland becomes enraged, having thrashing fits in the bed. He's strapped to the bed, fighting, he's cursing, he's yelling, he's flailing back and forth trying to free himself. He somehow manages to get one of his hands free and rip a bed spring out of the mattress that he then uses to lunge at the priest Priest, priest. Sorry, I'm not Catholic. It's priest. Um, that he then uses to lunge at the priest and sliced his arm from shoulder to wrist. Wow. 
Yes. So of course there was a, there were medical professionals in the room with him when he was doing this exorcism. Of course, the nurse team runs to the priest. This, of course, in you know, stops the exorcism immediately, obviously. Right. Father Hughes would end up needing 100 stitches in his arm. And he, the priest and his arm were never the same again. And Roland was sent home. So and this one home. They believe that this first exorcism is what caused Roland to be shoved full force into demonic possession. So mm. when I was watching this Discovery Plus documentary on it, they in they actually interviewed an exorcist for the Catholic Church based out of Indianapolis. And he said there's four stages to possession. There's um hold on it's later down in my list but i'm like you know what this sounds like a good time to bring up shit for the future um <laughs> sorry guys hang on let me i have it in bullet points it's like the only part okay so the four stages of possession are demonic infestation so that's like shit flying around the house vexation that's stuff that um is uh the scratches on the body obsession that's the nightmares, the, the visions, the hallucinations of demons and things like that. And finally, the fourth stage, possession. So they believe that this first exorcism is what shoved Roland Doe into full-blown demonic possession. It was just fucking ramping up. And when they started the exorcisms, that's what kind of shoved him into overdrive. So these scratches that he would get they ended up eventually turning into words. The first word that he, which this took some effort, I think, I don't know. I, I don't want to know either. I'm just saying the first <laughs> word that's, that was scratched into his body happened to be the word Lewis. So it related to his mother's hometown of St. Louis where the aunt lived. Oh. So they still have family in St. Louis. And so her, the mother and the father decide, well, maybe it's a sign we need to go to St. Louis. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so once they got there, they, um, they stayed with a family that, was, that were devoutly Catholic. Um, they, so they stayed with some family, which I thought, that's a true blue family member right there. Sure, sure, bring your demonically possessed child into my home. And we're, we're, we're happy to have you. Um, <laughs> so while they were there, um, there is one story that I came across where the family contacted a medium to talk to this demon that was living in their child. And the medium, as the medium was conducting a seance, also something I don't ever recommend unless you're doing it with professionals and even then be very cautious. Um, more marks appeared on the child's skin. The marks ended up turning into letters which bore the words no school, which I was like, okay, so it was me. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So now Roland's cousin, she was about 18 or 19 years old. And she was going to a, a Catholic college. She ended up becoming so worried about him that she went to her college professor who was a priest by the name of Father Bishop and she begged him to see Roland. 
So he goes to observe him and he brings along with him one of his colleagues, Father Bodur. Now I know I'm saying a lot of names, but I want you to remember these names because they're very heavy. They're like main players in the whole exorcism story. Oh, that's that's very nice. It's not happening. <laughs> okay, listeners, I want you to remember the names. <laughs> yes, yes, listeners, write this down. Write this down. <laughs> Archie, All the errands. Archie suffers from CRS. <laughs> so um, Father Bishop goes to observe him and he brings Father Bodur. They observe him for nearly an hour um, as he got ready for bed, and they were reading prayers over him while he was in bed. Nothing happens. There's there's nothing going on. The kid is just laying there. He's listening to the prayers. They seem to be comforting him. Um, and so eventually, you know, he's getting tired and starting to drift off, so they leave. As soon as they do, the kid loses his shit. Oh. Mm. So he, yeah, he enters a trance-like state. He starts making sounds in a very guttural voice from then on, whenever he would be in these states. Um, so the priests are called back. When they come back, they see mysteriously flying objects in the boy's presence. And they noted that he would react violently when he saw any sacred object presented by any attending priest. So that's kind of common knowledge and also in this Discovery Plus documentary, when they interviewed this exorcist based in Indianapolis, he says that's very common. They also interviewed priests in like Italy and like all over the world that were exorcists that said, yes, any sort of sacred relic, holy water, crucifixes, they, they tend to burn the, the, the flesh of the victim, not the victim, but whoever's possessed. Mm -hmm. So it's a very common trait. Um, so again, like I had mentioned earlier, they've got to prove that he's moving through the four stages of possession, which are demonic infestation, then vexation, then obsession, and then finally possession. Clearly this kid is entering stage four. So Father Bodern, Father Bishop, and a seminary student get permission of the Archbishop and to do a full exorcism. So once they, start the full exorcism process. They show up at the house and begin the difficult and arduous process of the exorcism. It would go on almost every night, Archie, for four fucking weeks. Wow. Yeah. So again, what was it with, with Annalise Michelle? She went through what, 60 some odd exorcisms? I feel like it was really like a really high number of exorcisms. It was a really, it was a really intense session for for her for that. Right, one. it went on months and months. So it's exorcism. And it's funny too because they interview some of the most like really fascinating individuals in this Discovery Plus documentary, and they're like, it's not like in the movies, like a one and done. It takes time. These demons don't want to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. It takes time. You have to fucking get them to reveal who they are. And then you can command them out. Like, in, it, it's not like a 10 to 15 minute, say the right of exorcism and poof, they're like, fine, we're going. It's nothing <laughs> like that. So um, at one point during this week's long ordeal, Bodron reportedly saw an ex 
appear in scratches on Ronald's chest. The documentary that I watched said that the child one night decided he wanted to write stuff down. So he wrote down a bunch of like sentences and words, like one, one sentence was, I will stay for 10 days. Um, and all of the numbers that the kid would write down in these sentences were all Roman numerals. So they mm. saw an X um, appear in scratches on his chest or in his own writing, which they believe signified the number 10. Um, in another incident, a pitchfork, a pitchfork, no. <laughs> oh, pitchforks. Little pitchforks, not mm. raised in the piggery. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pit, years. <laughs> a pitchfork shaped pattern of red lines moved from the boy's thigh and snaked down toward his ankle. These types of things seem to happen every single night for more than a month, and everyone witnessing the events believe that Roland was possessed by 10 demons. When asked who was possessing him, the child said in a demonic voice, we are legion. And that's not the first time that we've heard that. I think, wasn't that, didn't they say that in, in Annalise Michelle? Didn't she growl that, we are legion? I don't remember. I don't remember either. I know, I think, I know she was possessed by at least six, including Nero and Hitler and, you know, all the uglies. Um, all the heavy hitters. All the, yeah, really terrible people. Um, anyway, all throughout the exorcisms, there were continuous markings that other priests believed couldn't have been self-induced. The behavior from this child. Again, he was 13. He was 13. So... There was explicit language that Roland Doe would shout and babble um, that reeked of sexual abuse as a child. They, they, he would say that all of this horrible stuff happened to him. Um, the words he was using, however, should not have been known for a child his age. So it was really weird that he was just, you know, um, saying these things in the way that he was saying, which was very unlike his lingual capabilities. Um, so basically he was using language that it should not have been known for a child his age. So this suggests to a, a number of different people that it couldn't have just been a mental disease. Um, however, <laughs> it became so bad at times that the priests believed they needed to baptize the boy in the Catholic church. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I can see where this is going. Nowhere <laughs> good. However, <laughs> however, while on the way to the church, Roland tried to swerve the car off the road with the intent to crash it and kill his aunt, uncle, and himself. The weirdest part about the events was that it occurred during the morning. And most of the exorcisms and most of his fits would happen at night when he was getting ready to go to bed. Um, and so he, during the morning, he was generally completely normal. It was pleasant. He would play games with his cousins. It would be fine. And then he would go to bed and shit would fucking hit the fan. Mm. As soon as night fell, it was almost like he fell into a trance and was a completely different person. 
um, the, the tantrums that Roland Doe suffered and the exorcisms that followed, um, that followed after with Father Bodern went horrifically. Like they were never just screaming, crying, praying. It was, they went horrifically. I mean, remember Father Hughes just did the one and the kid exhibited superhuman strength, ripped a bedspring out of the mattress and slashed that priest from shoulder to wrist. So the priests actually never gave up as they continued the exorcisms night after night. So apparently on the evening of March 20th, the exorcisms reached an unhealthy new level. At what, prior to that, I don't know what they considered healthy, but um, apparently they got far more unhealthy. Mm. Um, so one night the word hell appeared on his stomach and the priest had watched him the whole time. His hands were restrained. There was no way that he could have done it to himself. In fact, they actually looked like birds coming up through his skin. Oh God. Mm -hmm. So, um, <clears throat> Uh, Roland urinated all over his bed. He began shouting and cursing at the priests. And by now his parents had had enough. Um, Father Bodern had the forethought to ask Father Bishop to keep a diary, a kind of a detailed testament of everything that had happened. Um, with the idea being for it to be kind of a how-to manual for future exorcisms. Mm -hmm. um, Eventually, eventually they, like at one point, um, uh, the priest suggested a really radical idea and that was to take him back to Maryland. So Father Bodern and his parents went back to Maryland from St. Louis, Missouri. And um, shit wasn't great there either. So they were like, well, this didn't work. So they went back to St. Louis. So they ended up taking him to, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. They took him back to the family's house and he seemingly would revert to the actual child that he was, wanting his mother scared, terrified, crying, only to once trust was gained, shove grown men across the room. A 13 year old boy. Wow. So one night finally, after thrashing about for close to nine, fucking hours. Roland starts to make vomiting gestures and gagging. You know how you do. Um, you know how you do when you're possessed. Um, and he asked for a window to be opened. Once the window is open, he violently threw up. Um, in exhaustion, he says he's gone. He's gone. So the other priests that were there confirmed that other, not that were there, but other Catholic priests that were interviewed that are exorcists confirmed that this does happen. It's almost like the body is not, the body is expelling the waste like the right. soul is. Right. right, right. I got you. So after the priests left, once they were like, it's done. After the priest left, a few hours later, Roland wakes up in a panic and yells, he's coming back. He's coming back. So the three priests were called back at 3.15 a.m. So Halloran, which he was a seminary student who 
volunteered to be another one of these priests that were there. So it was Father Bowdern, Father mm -hmm. Bishop, and mm -hmm. Father Halloran. So Halloran, the seminary student, would later say he watched the bed the kid was in levitate eight inches off the floor. Um, the family even invited scientist Frank Bubb to observe the boy. Do you know who that is? I do not. So he worked on the Manhattan Project. Oh. That developed the atomic bomb. That's completely related at all. So they wanted somebody that was like a hardcore scientist to be there to witness the craziness, just to get like a. a I mean, I, I mean, I can I can see that now. Right. So apparently while there, he saw something that stunned him. He saw a nightstand levitate and he would later go on to say about the situation, quote, we still have a lot to learn about electromagnetism. Ever the scientist. Ever the scientist. But he still saw some crazy shit. He saw some crazy shit that yeah. he just, like, put in. This is how I have to reconcile. This is, how I can, this is how I can understand that. Exactly. Um, so things got so out of hand that they moved him to St. Francis Xavier University's church to do the exorcisms there because it got to the point in the neighborhood where they were like, what the fuck is going on in this house every single night? <laughs> so they move him to St. Francis Xavier's St. Francis Xavier University's church to perform the exorcisms. And that wasn't any fucking better. It's a college campus. So the, you know, there are people out walking around in, at night, they're hearing these loud <laughs> screams, they're hearing these loud prayers, you know, the windows are being thrown open, they're hearing crashing, they're hearing, so like shit, like gossip started to circulate around the university. So at, at this point, at one, at, at this point, during one of the exorcisms at night, Roland, Father Halloran, who was the seminary student, he broke he punched him so hard he actually shattered father halloran's nose oh mm -hmm. again 13 year old kid mm -hmm. restraint I, I i can't say it enough so finally <laughs> the family um decides that saint francis xavier's church is not the place for him and they go back to St. Louis, or they're back in St. Louis rather, and they decide to put him in the Alexian Brothers Hospital. So the Alexian Brothers are actually an ancient order of Catholic monks that open this hospital. So they take him there and they place him into a secured facility within the psychiatric ward. So much later, like 65 years after this incident, one of the Alexian monks by the name of Brother Greg Holowinski stated that sh stated shortly before he died of cancer, he broke his vow, vow of silence and said that he saw a boy on a bed surrounded by three priests. The devil was using the boy's hand and snatched the boy and was, sorry, the devil was using the boy's hand and snatched the stole off the priest. So when they're wearing in their, what they're wearing, it's they're, they're wearing their, their frocks, but an, exor an exorcist wears that 
purple satin stole, it's like sash around his neck. Roland, the devil using Roland's hand, took the stole off the priest and shred it into a thousand shreds. And this monk, vow of silence, breaks his silence on his deathbed to tell his story and what he saw. And this is what he saw. He also said that he witnessed the bed start to levitate to the point that he actually put his hands or his arms in the sign of the cross and pressed them down on the boy's feet to try to lower the bed. He said it was an experience that he would never forget. On another occasion, he witnessed the devil throw a a glass decanter into the wall and it shattered into a thousand pieces. That kind of makes me think, why would you have glass anything in a room where you're you're like, what? (laughs) No fucking shit. (laughs) But, I mean, you know, it... Come on. It was 1949. Maybe that's all they had. They probably didn't have Yeti or, you know, whatever else. Mm. Plastic maybe wasn't a big thing. I don't know. metal, Metal was a thing. Metal was a thing. But anyway, so during all this, huh? What? Maybe just not lead. Maybe just not lead. Yeah. I think things we learned too late. Well, I mean, you know, you and I were exposed to lead up until the 80s. Lead wasn't eradicated until the 80s. Look at at us now. Here's (laughs) Clank. So during all this, let's keep in mind that not only is Roland going through the the physical uh, brutality of seizures and thrashing and fits and screaming and guttural growl. I mean, like, think of the, the toll on the child's body. Oh, God, he's going through puberty, too. Uh, I mean, it's times 500 million. <laughs> but remember Annalise Michelle, she would she started to refuse to eat. She shattered her kneecaps with all her genuflections. She, I mean, she went, that was the whole reason for that case. She died of starvation. The priests were put on trial. Her parents were put on trial because her body was just ravaged. The same thing was happening with this child. What they don't talk about in the Annalise Michelle case, which I thought was really interesting, that they do talk about in this one, is that the priests themselves were getting sick and weak. Oh, really? Yes. They'd have to go through long periods where they would have to fast and pray for this child and sacrifice their energy and everything to save this child. Hmm. So Father Bodern apparently lost almost 40 pounds during this time and himself became emaciated and frail. Holy shit. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting that they didn't discuss that in the Annalise Michelle case, which happened just a few years prior, I think, yeah, or I, after. I, that, I, I, I find that interesting as well. Yeah. So um, finally, on April 18th, a miracle occurred in Roland's room at the Alexian Brothers Hospital. It was the Monday after Easter, and Roland awoke with seizures. He yelled at the priest, saying that Satan would always be with him. The priest laid holy relics, crucifixes, medals, and rosaries on the boy. At 10.45 p.m. that evening, the attending priest called on St. Michael to expel Satan from Roland's body. They shouted at Satan, saying that St. Michael would battle, battle him for Roland's soul. So at one point, a demonic voice came from Roland and said that if Roland says this one word, 
he will depart and leave him alone. But he knew the kid would never say the word. So prayers dedicated to St. Michael seem to be most effective. Now, for uh, any listener who isn't well-versed in it, Michael is the archangel that casts Lucifer out of heaven and into hell. His brother, Lucifer. Michael is the archangel that did that with his fiery soul. So that's why in, in situations like this and, and why I do in, in areas of protection where, you're, where you might be putting yourself in a position to be vulnerable to things, de- Satan and Lucifer and the devil and hell, that's why uh, uh, we pray to St. Michael because he is the one that, that was able to cast Lucifer out of, out of heaven. Um, so that's why they use these prayers dedicated to St. Michael to mm. help save this boy. This is why I pray to St. Michael when we talk about things like this. Um, suddenly, which I find so amazing, in Roland's own voice, while calm, but described as being commanding and with dignity, Roland says, Satan, Satan, I am Saint Michael, and I command you, Satan, and the other devil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus immediately, now, now, now. So Father Bodern then sees, realizes that Dominus is the word that the devil said Roland would never say, because Dominus is the Latin word for Lord. Mm. So Roland was able to allow, even though he was under utter control of the devil, he was able to allow Michael in to help him say this word that the devil said he would never say. But if he did say it, he'd go away. Roland then had the most severe seizure of the entire experience for seven solid minutes. He thrashed around, he scrawled, he screamed for seven solid minutes. When he finally comes out of it, he tells the priest he had a vision of St. Michael with a fiery sword pushing the demons inside him back into hell. And he was completely back to normal. I mean, spiritually. Um, I, I... I detailed the number of physical fucking problems he suffered, but yeah, spiritually he was a-okay. So Father Bodern, however, he was skeptical because the devil had played this trick before. Remember Mm -hmm. when the kid was throwing up, he's like, open the window, he's gone. Yeah. So he asked St. Michael for a sign. And suddenly at that time, there was this massive explosion the sound of an explosion, so loud that the monks actually thought that their furnace had exploded in the hospital. It reverberated throughout the entire building. So the monks in the, the, monks in the church, everybody heard it. But what happened was later, they found out that priests in the, the uh, St. Francis Xavier Church nearby saw the image at the time of the explosion, saw the image of St. Michael light up the altar in the church of St. Francis Xavier. And this was the sign that Father Boder needed that it was over. 
So after that, there were no more documented instances of strange occurrences and behavior in Roland after that. Um, he went on to live a completely normal life from that moment forward, despite, you know, providing the true story for the fucking exorcist. <laughs> but <clears throat> um, unfortunately, one of the priests that tried to cure him not only was on the brink of insanity by the end of the exorcisms, but is also believed to have become also become possessed as well. On this priest's deathbed, it is claimed that he used explicit words against a nurse and tried to choke her to death. Uh, there was one man many years later went on a tour, um, went on to tour a nearby hospital from the Alexian Brothers Hospital because that's been since destroyed or right. demolished, um, mm -hmm. destroyed. Anyway, he went on to tour a nearby hospital for a paper he was writing on this case. And he went to walk into a room and was stopped by hospital. The person, the hospital official that was giving him the tour stopped by this person. When he asked why he didn't go in the room, he was told to listen at the door. So inside he heard raging, things being thrown, glass breaking and guttural noises. The officials said that inside was the priest that took the devil into him to save Rolando and had oh. been there ever since. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So again, we've already said it. This case has inspired the movie The Exorcist, um, which Archie mentioned was a novel published in 1971 that was also made into a movie that traumatized Carrie at the tender lying age of 12 or 13. Um, however, instead of a 14-year-old boy, the novel was written with him being a 12-year-old girl. Um, no one would have ever known about the exorcism of Roland Doe, nor would it have become the true story of the exorcist if not for an article that was written in the Washington Post, which reported in late 1949, albeit with a few details, that priests had indeed performed an exorcism. The case wouldn't, have made, wouldn't make headlines again for more than two decades. So... To go into a little bit more detail, in 1971, an author by the name of William Peter Blatty penned the best-selling novel, The Exorcist, based on the unofficial diaries kept by Halloran and Boder. The book stayed on the bestseller list for 54 weeks, and it spawned the hit movie in 1973. The movie took many liberties with its source material, turning the teenager into a 12-year-old girl named Reagan and not a boy named Roland. The movie's story also takes place completely in Washington, D.C. and the Georgetown area, which is somewhat true to life since Roland was hospitalized for a week in the Georgetown Hospital in late February of 1949. Um, although the scratches, shouting, spitting, red lines on the skin, and cursing in the movie mimicked what Roland had experienced, the boys had never turned 360 degrees like Reagan's did in the film. <laughs> Similarly, Roland never vomited green matter during his many tantrums, nor did he use a bloody crucifix to masturbate, which was horrific. I could not fucking believe that scene. <clears throat> Nonetheless, the events that occurred on those frightful nights gave many people nightmares for decades and raised everybody. And if Roland hadn't lost his memory, because he didn't remember any of it once it happened, he didn't remember any of the things that had happened. Um, if he had lost his memory, he probably would have lived his life in a mental hospital. Mm. Bodern, Father Bodern, the main exorcist on the case, on the other hand, died in 1983 after serving the Catholic Church for decades. Halloran, the seminary priest, the 
student. He mm-hmm. lived until 2005 when he died of cancer. He was the last surviving member of the main team that had perform- performed the exorcism of Roland Doe. Um, the room in the Alexian Brothers Hospital was boarded up and sealed following the exorcism. The entire facility was torn down in 1978. However, just before its demolition, a copy of the diary Father Bishop kept was found in a locked drawer in an office. This is how it's believed, the way the story started getting out and how William Peter Blatty may have found out so many details of the case for the book. The house where the family lived in Maryland is now an empty lot after it was abandoned in the 1960s. I would do that too. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. This fucking house, I'd be like, see you fucking later. I'll take the bet. Burn it. Burn it to the ground. Um, In 1993, author Thomas B. Allen wrote a nonfiction book entitled Possessed, the True Story of an Exorcism. In writing the book, which relies heavily on Halloran's detailed accounts, the author claims to have uncovered the true identity of the story of Roland Doe, but has said that he will never reveal the person's true name, as does actually Arch, the guy, one of the main guys that they interview in the Discovery Plus documentary. He Mm -hmm. also knows the, the, the man's true name. But he won't say it either, which I think is yeah. really wonderful. Yeah. Um, My research, I came across what people to suspect yeah. is the real name of this person. And I, I'm like, no. Mm-mm. No, I even did too. And I, I, I kept it out of my, my notes. Um, so he will never reveal a person's true name. As for the cozy house on Roanoke Drive in St. Louis, Missouri, where this all the exorcisms began, it sold to new owners in 2005 for $165,000. Following the exorcism of Roland Doe, his family moved back to the East Coast. Sources say that Roland found a wife and started a family. He named his first son Michael after the saint believed to have saved his soul. He went on to become a literal Archie fucking rocket scientist. (laughs) Had an amazing career. Um, built and designed parts on actual rockets that went up into space. That's awesome. Yes, he did. And he died at the age of 85 in 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in closing, um, from the documentary, and when you said this, I was so overjoyed when you said this in your part, because I was like, full circle. So from the documentary, in closing, I want to say, quote, For those who believe the exorcism of Roland Doe endures as a haunting warning, evil walks among us, and the devil's greatest trick is making us believe that he doesn't exist. Oh, God damn, Carrie. What a way to wrap that up. Yes. So I also want to say in closing, thank you very much, St. Michael, because I always do feel very protected by him because... We do talk about some dangerous, scary, scary stuff. And I go into dangerous, scary, scary places. And even if there isn't a ghost in there, there could be living human beings. And I always pray to St. Michael and I have always been very well protected. So um, he certainly shields us and this podcast and all of our listeners as best he can. Um, so I certainly hope that, that, you know, if you guys believe in that or whatever you believe in, you, you, um, you invoke that because it's not, you know, it's a comedy podcast, but goddamn, we talk about some fucking crazy, horrible, awful shit. <laughs> so, yeah, when you said that, I was like, oh, this is so amazing. I say the same thing at the very end. 
<laughs> and that, guys, is the story of the exorcism of Roland Doe, the inspiration for the movie The Exorcist. I don't recommend the movie. It's horrifying and scary and terrible. And um, I can't even watch Linda Blair in any fucking thing she's in because she's just, it will always be that, that character to me, which I think is awful. I'm sure she's a very lovely woman, salt of the earth, and probably a real fine dancer, but I don't want to know anything about her ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, on the other hand, on the other hand, highly recommend the movie. Do you? Yeah. Because of the very same reasons you just said. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, which is interesting I, because I, generally I, I'm the horror buff and you're like, Meh. Yeah, I, I really don't care for them, but I do highly recommend this movie. Yeah. It's yeah. good. I mean, now knowing the story behind of what inspired it, um, maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but it is it is it is something as a collective people we should Mm-hmm. See, be able to speak about it. I agree. I agree. And you had some said something in your part um, to the effect that you know the devil and possession and exorcisms can inspire lively conversations among Christians. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's true. And I, I think that they can inspire lively conversations among all of us. Um, I certainly. Um, Oh God, it's, 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 I don't love these topics that, you know, and I'm the one that comes up with the fucking episode lists, but um, this one, <laughs> you know, we had, we had to do it just like we had to do LaLaurie and we had to do Trans-Allegheny and we have to, we have to talk about this stuff because it's our history and it's, it's, um, yep. if we don't yep. learn from the history, we're doomed to repeat it, which is why I'm not a fan at fucking all of cancel culture. I hate it. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. Um, we have to talk about it because if we don't learn from history, we we will repeat it. And I know this from personal experience because I have repeated a lot of dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, to that end, that is your um, TED talk from Carrie. I'm back, <laughs> and um, yeah, that's that's this week's episode. Arch, uh, what do you think? I wanted to. No, that was this was good. This was great. We yeah. Did yeah. you think that I was gonna go so find such a deep dive into this story? Well, yeah. I mean, I expect. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was really, I was really impressed. This documentary, I really, I really recommend everybody. Like, I, I took a lot from it, but I pared it down. Real podcast host dumbly. Um, dumbly is not even a word just so you guys know <laughs> which all the listeners are like dumbly is not a fucking word we already knew that um, <laughs> but I recommend it it's a really fascinating uh, documentary and they interview a lot of really amazing people and actual exorcists for the Catholic Church so I think if, if um, you have an interest in that uh, you, should, you should watch it because it was a treasure trove of information um, and I had no idea. I'd, I'd heard the story before, but this documentary really kind of blew blew it all out of the water. And I love to think, I love to know that he became a literal rocket scientist. He lived a love, a love filled life, a safe life. He married. He had kids. I, I they had actually said in the documentary that at one point he contacted Father Bodern 
shortly afterward and said that they had moved back to Maryland. He was doing what he was back in school. He was doing well in school and he had a brand new dog. So, I mean, he was just kind of, yeah, he wanted to let the, the priest know that he was, he was doing really well. Um, so I, I, I love that in the end, um, you know, he, he did amazing. I think it's, it's terrible that the one priest kind of suffered for the rest of his life to save the kid. Um, but, uh, but, you know, yeah, I don't talk about, you know, sunshine and fucking puppies all the time in my part, so. <laughs> anyway. And I I would also like to go on to say that articles by Eric Meisfjord on grunge.com are very enjoyable reads. He is a gifted writer, and I was very happy to have found him to bring that to this episode. Well, and you know what? That's actually really saying something, Arch, because I know that you don't like s- stuff that goes too, too religious and too, too technical. I know that you tend to like mm-hmm. lose interest in whatever. So um, that's really saying something. I definitely will check out those those articles on grunge.com, which you said are not sanctioned by the Catholic Church or the Vatican, correct? Grunge? Uh, I, I haven't said either way. <laughs> yes, you did earlier. Um, and uh, you know you didn't need to because I mean the Vatican is not going to sanction a grunge.com article about how they conduct their business you'd you'd be surprised it's a really good resource good okay good So I encourage our listeners to check it out for sure all right and Eric Milleuser blah blah oh god my fjord right that's what I said if yeah, you're listening, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's spelled M E I S F J O R D. Oh, God, one of those Swedish names. Damn, right? The J is probably silent or pronounced like a Q or something. Fjord. I, I, I tried my best. If I, if I screwed it up, Aaron, let us know. <laughs> I, right? She's so like, that's so Aaron. That's so anyway. Like- it's so Aaron. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. Um, we, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you were terrified like we were, uh, and we hope you saw the light at the end of the tunnel like we did. Um, that's all I have. We are back together next week. All three of us, me, Archie, Laura, and we are going to, uh, cry make Archie cry because we're recording his birthday episode. It's actually being released the day after his birthday, but it's his birthday episode. And then he's coming to North Carolina to visit me and he's going to help me put together my grill. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You're like, I was looking forward to it. Um, (laughs) Anyway. uh, So yeah, that's that on that Arch. Why don't you, as you do, let them know where they can find us. Because I can never, ever remember, we can be found all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The TikTok. The TikTok. <laughs> um, That's it. Patreon. Oh, Patreon, yes. The, 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 give, the give us money one. <laughs> patreon.com slash h-o-a-h podcast everything is at h-o-a-h podcast and including our website www.hohpodcast.com that's it 
That's it. Good job. Um, How did you guys handle this all fine last week without me? And now you're like, I don't remember anything. Well, no, because you make me want to drink more. Awesome! (laughs) You're fucking fire. (laughs) I knew you'd love that. (laughs) All right, guys, we love you so much. And as always, be safe out there because you never know who, and in particular on this episode... Or what? Is listening. And thank you, St. Michael, once again. All right, guys, we will see you next week. We welcome Laura back. Archie is surrounded by female bitches once again. Once again. For his birthday. Woohoo. Oh, God. I know. We're the worst threesome ever. Anyway. Uh, For me, anyway. Archie's like, I'm going to throw up. Okay. (laughs) Bye, guys. We love you. Bye, (laughs) kids.